my name is Margaret Ward. Um, I was a journalist at RT for a long time. Uh, I was a foreign editor and trade correspondent. I'm now freelance, uh, mostly for the Irish Times. I know hardly anything about podcasting. And I made this very clear to Gerard when he asked me when I chaired this session. And he said, sure, you used to do radio, you know something about this session is called Podcasting for Promotion and Profit. Um, so I think the goal in having this session was to explore whether or not podcasting can be a viable business model for journalists and others, or can it be part of what we were talking earlier about, the portfolio. Um, but having listened to the podcast of some of these people uh, on the train, um, I worked out really that, that it really needs to be podcasting for passion first and podcasting for promotion and, and profit comes further down the line. Um, and in fact, I think one of the people who does podcasts in the history area um, said last year that if you start doing it for money, you won't make any money out of it. So we're going to explore some of those issues with our panel here today. Um, we're starting with Kira O'Connor Walsh, who's a podcast producer with the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Um, she's done a 10-part series, which some of you may have heard of, called The Eighth. Now, I listened to the last part of that this morning, very moving final piece that she did. Um, so here is our first speaker. After that, we'll have Naomi and Alan, and we'll int I'll introduce those when we get to them. Thanks, Hi, everybody. Thanks, Million, for having me here today, Jared. So my name is Kira. I'm a podcast producer with the Headstuff Podcast Network and I started out life in podcasting. I suppose I came from a love of radio, which is how a lot of people get into podcasting. And I worked for about a year on the US podcast uh, Love and Radio, which you might know. And I got I kind of did a bit of a mentorship there. I was an associate producer for about a year with and was lucky enough to work with Nick Vanderkoek, who's the producer there, who kind of taught me everything I know about podcasting and then some. Um, so now I work for uh, Headstuff and I'm making a short series for A Lust for Life at the moment on the mental health system in Ireland, which is going to be out next month. And I'm making my own series with Headstuff as well. So I'm going, uh, first of all, podcasting for promotion and profit. I am not an expert on profit. Uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about some of the podcasts that I work on that do make money. Most of them don't. Um, if anybody does know how to make money out of podcasts, you can come and talk to me afterwards and give me some tips. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about podcasting as a medium, and I'm going to talk a little bit about the podcast industry, and then talk to you about if you're thinking about making your own podcast, the kind of things that you need to consider. So this week, uh, Seth Godin, the marketing guru, his email newsletter was titled Podcasting is the New Blogging. Um, I had a bit of a cringe when I read that, but then I was thinking there are actually a lot of similarities there between podcasting and blogging. And podcasting's issues, similar to blogging and similar to journalism, uh, most importantly is no one really wants to pay for podcasts, um, certainly not in a way that makes it sustainable for people who are producing them. Not yet, anyway. And another issue is that advertisers have been very slow to take the bait. Despite the fact that podcasting has become hugely popular, advertisers are slow. Um, there's a very low barrier to entry to make a podcast. All you need, essentially, is a mic, or one of these guys here, and a studio, and that could be a cupboard, which is where I made the eighth, my hot press. 
Um, and some people even make podcasts on their phones. Um, but because of that really low barrier to entry, there's a really high barrier to scale because there's a lot of dross out there. There's a lot of like two people sitting around a microphone having a chat. Um, and so it is really, really hard to break through that noise. And I think that was kind of the same with blogging. And I think that's kind of growing as well as the space becomes even more competitive. So the boom is getting boomier podcasting. Over the last six months, and I've been was an avid listener of podcasts before I became a producer, probably for the last guts of a decade. And over the last six months to a year, I think it'd be fair to say I've never heard more about podcasting in Ireland. It just seems to starting to be really getting gaining a bit of ground here. The states have been streets ahead of us in terms of podcasting, but even in the US, who are kind of leading the way in podcasts' new frontier, only 64% of people would have heard of the word podcast and, and, and would show an awareness of that level of that word. And then out of those 64%, probably not all of them know what a podcast is or knows how to listen to a podcast. Um, there's a barrier to entry for people uh, to make podcasts, which is quite low, but relatively speaking, there's a high barrier to entry for people who want to listen to podcasts. They don't know how to do it a lot of the time. Um, and I think we really need a Netflix for podcasting, just to sound kind of hackneyed, but you know, something that's really intuitive and straightforward and easy to use, because podcasting has this findability problem. And I think probably most people in the room who uh, listen to podcasts rely on word of mouth predominantly. But my app, I use Pocket Casts, for example, and that doesn't recommend shows based on the shows that I've already subscribed to. It doesn't help me find new shows based on my interests. It doesn't categorize my subscriptions. So I've just got this wall of podcasts and I can't categorize them by food or tech or news or whatever way I want to actually look for what I want to listen to. So I think there's a tech solution needed here that's going to help podcasts gain a bit more ground. Um, and we've also been spending a lot of time, people who are in the podcast industry, explaining what a podcast is and what a podcast does. And this guy, Tom Webster, who's the head of Edison Research, wrote this really brilliant article on Medium recently called Where Does Podcasting Go Next? If you're interested in the podcast industry, it's a very long read, but it's really good. And one of the things that he said is like, we never have to explain what a show is, but we're constantly trying to explain what a podcast is. And maybe we're asking the wrong questions or we're going about this the wrong way. And he pointed to Orange is the New Black. And remember when Orange is the New Black came out and everyone was obsessed over it. And you were like, okay, I need to watch this show. How do I find out about this show? And then you find out, oh, it's exclusive to Netflix. I have to, have to subscribe to Netflix in order to watch it. And I think that's the way podcasting is really going to gain ground. And, and Serial kind of did that for podcasting. So a lot of people, if you asked 100 people on the street who'd heard of podcasting, Serial is probably the first one they'd say. And I think that brought a lot of people into the medium because if the show is exciting enough and if it's, it sounds engaging and interesting enough, people will find out how to go about consuming it. But I think just trying to sell podcasting as a medium is kind of like say, saying trying to sell on-demand TV. People will be like, okay, well, it sounds interesting, but I'm not really engaged. But people will jump if it's a show. Um, so I do think we probably need an Irish serial. I think Blind Boy has probably done really good work in terms of bringing people into the medium, bringing a lot of people who might not have listened to podcasts in to listening to podcasts. But overall, it's a kind of a complex space. It's been around a long time podcasting, even though it feels kind of new. It's been very stoppy starty. It's been a real slow burn. Um, and it's only really now maturing as an industry. 
Um, so in many ways, it's a lot like the rest of journalism. Uh, it's very hard to fund um, unless you are a big name or you're being bankrolled by a big sponsor. It's very, very hard to make really good work. Um, and another reason why it's hard to make good work is because the advertisers have been slow to take that up. And one of the reasons that is, is because we don't have really good analytics. We don't get good data about our podcast listeners. We can't find really granular insights about the audiences and their behaviours and patterns and what, what else they like to do. And so that's the kind of thing advertisers expect nowadays. So with podcasting, it's just very hard to provide that to them. So they're reluctant to throw money after podcasting when they can't get that kind of return. Another problem, <laughs> and then I'll get into how to make podcasts and why it's actually worth navigating this kind of complicated space, is that um, there's kind of a holy grail of podcast charts, which is the iTunes charts. So you, when you're listening to a podcast, you'll hear the host saying, please rate and review us on, on iTunes, because that really is up until now the main way that people find out about, or sorry, not find out about podcasts, but rate a podcast success is how far they climb up the iTunes charts. But more and more people have been asking recently about the legitimacy of podcast charts, because it's actually quite easy, well, not relatively easy to game these charts. So if you look at the top 10 uh, in the iTunes podcast charts, you'll see some names that you recognize. So you'll be looking at them and going, I doubt that's a top 10. I doubt that's a top 10. Maybe I trust that that's a top 10. I doubt that that one's a top 10. I've never heard of it. And then Serial, which is always there. But the reason for that is because it's really easy to game the system. You can pay people who use a bot and basically just generate loads of traffic going through iTunes to your podcast and round up the charts that way. So people are getting really fed up of this as a marker of success because they're like, well, people are just gaming the system and then getting like really high up the charts and legitimate podcasts who are trying to create organic growth um, are finding it hard to kind of get on the radar. But, you know, we are seeing some changes recently. Spotify has opened up its podcast section so that any publisher can now submit into Spotify. And Google Pod Podcasts is on the scene now as well, and they're investing a lot of money in it. And they've recently announced a partnership with PRX uh, to launch something called the Google Podcast Creator Program, which they want to launch. The aim of it is to remove barriers to podcasting, <coughs> increase diversity of voices in the industry, and make sure content is available for all audiences. So they want to kind of democratize that space a little bit. But what we do have is the old reliable word of mouth, and that really does seem to be the holy grail, um, in Ireland especially. Um, and it's uh, ultimately immeasurable, which is frustrating for those of us making the work. Um, the Knight Foundation recently published research about super listeners. That would be me and probably the guys on the panel here. Uh, so 96% of them, super listeners, have recommended a podcast to a friend So these in the last month. So these are the podcast bores. Uh, these are my people. <laughs> You've probably all been bored at a dinner party or in the pub by a podcast bore at some point over the last year who's been evangelising about a podcast to you. So, look, I do think there will be a shift towards making sure that we can kind of quantify things a little bit better and that we can measure that word of mouth a little bit better. Um, and when advertisers place less value on charts and more on actual numbers, uh, it'll even itself out a little bit. But at the moment, if you're starting out and you don't have the budget to diversify your marketing outside of the charts, then you know, you're kind of stuck with it a little bit. So it's a bit of a wild west out there, I suppose, is the preface to all of this. So 
If you're thinking of starting a podcast yourself, and just based on the title of this session, Podcasting for Promotion and Profit, um, I'll talk a little bit about if you want to create a podcast, first of all, for just promoting yourself and your own work, and then if you actually want to make money off it, we'll look at it from a more mercenary point of view. So first off, you have to think about what you want to make and starting off with your own objective. And do you actually need to make money out of this or are you basically going to use it as a piece of content marketing for your own journalism? And if you are, then that's grand and you don't need to worry too much about trying to draw in a sponsor or make money from advertising. But one way or another, whether you want to make money or not, one of the key things I think everybody on the panel will agree with me is if you want to create something really good and put it out there and be competitive in podcasting, time is probably the biggest thing that you're going to have to invest. So good editing is something that you're going to have to get really good at. And I think any of you who have a background in broadcast journalism will probably know your way around an editing suite um, and also know the gear that you need and everything. So that's kind of not a massive problem for you. But editing can really be the difference between a good podcast and a really, really good podcast. And it'll really set you apart from the competition. And there are loads of podcasts out there at the moment that I think could be potentially brilliant and suffer so badly from a lack of editing. And it's where it's people that are going, let's two of us get together in a room and have this great chat and have the bands and have a laugh. And, and that's boring for an audience mm -hmm. member. And I think journalists listening to those podcasts will be like turned off podcasts immediately go, this is just dross. Like, this is nonsense. This is the worst interview I've ever heard. Because you know that you'd probably ask the questions in a much more tailored way and you probably would have cut out half of it. So by virtue of the fact that you're a trained journalist, you're automatically going to have an edge. Um, but just to give you a sense of how long it takes to produce a podcast, um, I, m you mentioned the 8th. I spent four months of solid work to make the 8th. Uh, I interviewed 30 people, I had about 100 hours of audio to go through uh, to make it into 10 hours. Um, I way over recorded, but that was my own problem. But, but it is an awful lot of time and investment and commitment. And if you're neurotic like me and want to do everything yourself, then it's even more so. Um, and then like when I was working with Love and Radio, um, for example, for a 40 minute episode of Love and Radio, there could be three or four, eight or nine hour interviews to go through with the one person. Um, so again, it's just to kind of really kind of press how much time and energy will go into making something that's really good. It's not something, it's real slow journalism. It's not something that you can turn around quickly if you're going to make something that's really gonna stand out. Um, and obviously then you're going to need to grow an audience um, and need to consider maybe people who mightn't typically listen to a podcast but might be interested in the podcast you're making because it has a specific audience. Maybe it's a particular niche thing that will appeal to a specific group of people. And then look at other podcast audiences and that's probably the best way of getting your work known is by appealing to other podcast audiences. So. A really great way of promoting your podcast will be through uh, creating short ads or what's called a trail to run on other podcasts. So if you're listening to this podcast, you might like to also listen to this one. And again, that's just a really good way of capturing podcast audiences who are already there, already on board listening to podcasts and who might be interested in something that you create. Um, or you can alternatively do something that's really powerful, which is take over another podcast's feed altogether. So say um, if I made a new series and I thought 
that you guys might like to run the first episode of the series as part of, because it's something that might be quite similar to the stuff you already do, you could just drop the first episode into your feed, thereby I'm capturing all of um, the Irish Passports listeners in one go uh, and showcasing the work. Um, so that's something that other podcast hosts might be open to letting you showcase your work that way. Okay, and then finally, you're going to need a really killer social media strategy. Um, that's going to be a lot of time and investment as well in creating videos and audiograms and all sorts of other ways of sharing your, your audio. And you know yourselves, even looking at radio, it's really hard to share audio on social media because a lot of people listen to it with sound down. So, you know, even all videos now, uh, you know, on the journal and so on will be um, with subtitles because of that reason. So it can be a bit tricky. But there are kind of a lot of workarounds and some interesting stuff coming out of the States. And these guys will probably talk a little bit more about that now uh, in terms of their own podcasts. Um, So finally, actual uh, profit. There are a couple of ways that if you decided that you wanted to make podcasting a part of your income stream rather than just a passion project, there are a couple of ways that that you might want to look at in terms of making actual money. So um, the first thing to say is, like I said, most people who make podcasts aren't journalists. So you have a really competitive edge because you know how to tell a good story. um, And that's going to be really important. But also Irish podcasts are being funded more and more um, by sponsors. So I produce a podcast called Mum Truths, which is a podcast from Mummy Pages. Um, and it's currently running a full series on uh, health, the health of children, interviews of paediatricians and mothers who've had specific problems with their kids, like dietary and skin and various sleep issues. And VHI are bankrolling that whole thing. Um, and they're not interfering in the content at all. It's all, we have editorial control, but they are the title sponsor. Um, and it is profitable. Um, and then there is also, I have produced a couple of episodes of the journal's Future Stories, which is a branded podcast uh, from Volkswagen, which is just all about the future of things. And Volkswagen thought, well, that'd be nice to be associated with kind of, you know, a podcast about futuristic things. And it's the future of like housing, the future of travel. It's not specifically limited to cars, but it's something that they felt was aligned with their brand. So that's something that you can consider doing and pitching an idea for a branded podcast to a company, to the marketing manager and say, I can make you a podcast. I can tell really interesting stories and it'll be branded by you. Uh, One that I have in my head that I must pitch someday whenever I have time is like, I think it would be really good to pitch maybe to Kerrygold or some major Irish food company, a story of Irish food and how it's produced. Uh, I think that that's an example of something that I think could really work nicely because it just will meet their kind of brand mission, but also be some really interesting and nice storytelling opportunities there as well. Um, So if you don't want to go down the route of branded podcasts, another way that you could maybe attract advertisers or sponsors is by having a big name. So um, some of you may already have your own name as a journalist if you haven't. Um, it's good to bring in a name. So with the Lust for Life podcast that I'm producing at the moment, Brezzy is going to host parts of it um, and that has attracted a sponsor. So we have got a sponsor on board who's paid for the whole thing. Um, And then the other opportunity is just make work that's so bloody good that nobody can ignore it and that you'll probably get funding through Patreon, through your listeners or through a sponsor. So you just have to go and make the Irish cereal. So that's no big deal. (laughs) But I definitely would recommend you listen to some of the branded podcasts that are out there at the moment, because 
Um, they're expensive to make, like they're usually really well produced, but that's not your problem. If you're the journalist, then you're the one making the money from the expensive to create bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, some of them are really fascinating and there are uh, really good opportunities there and the sky's the limit in terms of kind of the content and the style. And that's just a couple, one from Netflix, which is like, they interview the makers of the shows uh, that you watch on Netflix and kind of do a behind the scenes of each show, which is really interesting. The Sauce is a really random one. It's from McDonald's. And recently they had this big run on Szechuan Sauce. Uh, I don't know if any of you heard about that, but there was an episode of Rick and Morty, the cartoon, where they talked about this McDonald's Szechuan Sauce. And then all of a sudden everybody went mental for their Szechuan sauce so they made this kind of like fake serial style podcast like behind the scenes of what happened to them on their side of the story when the sauce took off and then uh, Open for Business is a podcast from Gimlet Creative. Gimlet are the podcast company that do Reply All and Startup and a couple of big name podcasts and they do a lot of branded podcasts and they make them really really well the focus is really on good storytelling on making really interesting good content by really good journalists um, but then this one, say, is open for business by eBay uh, and again just bankrolled by eBay uh, in its entirety. Um, their name is on it, but it is like they do retain the editorial control. Um, uh, so, yeah, that's kind of it uh, in terms of predictions. I suppose what I really like to say today is that more journalists should make podcasts because that will elevate the quality pretty dramatically um, the more journalists that make podcasts the more the landscape I think will shift and up there with the blockbuster podcasts that cost huge amounts to produce will be podcasts that are smart that are well produced that are well made um, that are probably done on a pretty low budget and advertising will catch up when the quality goes up um, so I predict that once the technology catches up, once the data catches up, and once advertisers cotton on to the amount of eyes and ears that are there, um, with that, that potential that's there, I think podcasting will be a rival to radio in terms of listenership. Because in Ireland, we do love radio. We do love stories, and we do love kind of audio stories as well. Um, and I think that there's a massive potential there for an audience that's kind of untapped. So, um, so yeah, that's it. Take any questions at the end then. Thank you, Kira. Um, we're going to save the questions for the end, if that's okay, and then people can address them to whichever panelists they want to. So save save up your questions. And we're going to turn now to Naomi. Naomi is dividing her time between Ireland and the Netherlands. She has worked for Reuters and for Agence France Press, and she's currently writing for Politico and The Atlantic. Um, but she's primarily here in her role as a co-presenter of the Irish Passport, um, which, for those of you who, who don't know it, and I was one of those until very recently, I have to say, is a podcast which gives the background to a lot of current events and current stories in Ireland. It delves right back into the backstory of a current story. Um, but we'll leave it to Kira to actually tell us more, and we're also going to hear, I think, a little bit from it as well. Yeah. Hi, everybody. How's it going? Um, so I'll just get up my presentation. So yeah, my name is Naomi O'Leary. Um, thanks for your presentation, Kira. It was amazing. Uh, let me just get this up now. <coughs> there it is. So 
yeah, Margaret suggested that maybe it would be nice to hear a bit of a podcast or a bit of one of our podcasts to get what we're it's all about. So I'll try and play just a quick clip just so that you you hear a little bit of how it starts off. <coughs> um, that's on silent, so I'll just play it off my phone. Uh, so this is for just our latest episode. Um, McInerney. I'm Naomi O'Leary. We're friends. Can you welcome Naomi? Anwar, Fad, Tim. This is your passport to Irish culture, history, and politics. Uh-huh. I'm recording. One, One two, two, three. Okay. And then the music comes in. And that's how each one starts. So basically, the Irish passport, as, um, as Margaret mentioned, um, ties together current events with what you need to basically understand them. So the concept for it came out of... Um, this idea that, how do I, I visualise that now? Um, there was kind of a knowledge gap about Ireland. Um, sorry. How do I get it to actually display? You just want full screen? Yeah. Is there some clever shortcut for that? Oh, there we go. Wait, it's slightly different from mine. Thanks very much. Okay, yeah, so and that's us. Space bar to move through. Thank you. Um, so yeah, we. It was. I, I do a lot of reporting about Brexit. Um, I report on a fair bit of European politics as well as Irish stuff, um, and it. I just kind of got kind of panicked because it seemed like nobody knew anything about it, and there was going to be this crisis about the border coming, and nobody was seeing it coming, and they'd all voted and all this kind of stuff. So I kind of got this great sense of urgency that we should explain that there is this country that's called Ireland and where you know <laughs> what it's all about, and. Um, <laughs> So uh, it started. It kind of grew out of that that Brexit stuff, um, and we launched last year. And just as we foretold, there was a border crisis that was coming. Um, so we got a lot of listeners out of that. Um, so this this is who presents it. That's me, um, like I say, a journalist, and Tim, who's my co-host and also my friend. He is a lecturer in in Paris, and he teaches British and Irish cultural history. Uh, so. We kind of team up. I do the current affairs stuff, and he fills in the backstory to what explains all of this. Like a classic example was like, just why why is there a border to begin with, and why is it so jaggedy and strange and difficult and all that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, these are our recent episodes. <coughs> so our latest ones on the housing crisis because uh, came it became unignorable, and we had um, a lot of requests for that one. Uh, Prior to that, we were up in Belfast and for the 11th and 12th of July, and we attended a big bonfire, which was very exciting. And then, yeah, Pope Francis and so on. And um, we did also did like a little episode on Derry, just explaining the, the history of Derry and um, yeah, how, how it is just now at the time of Brexit uncertainty. Um, Kira mentioned that there's low barriers to entry, so I wanted to demonstrate that. <laughs> this is the guy that this is like the real MVP of the whole story. I bought this in I think 2008 or 2009 in a bargain basket somewhere in the UK, and as I recall, I think it cost more or less 70 euro. It's a Zoom Zoom H2. Zooms are amazing. They're great. They're great. Um, really high quality. So we had this thing. And I went to Tim's apartment, and we went into his bathroom. Not pictured, but that was the closest to it that I could find on, on Google Image Search. 
He sat on the top of the toilet. We, we balanced our laptop on the sink. And I sat in the shower. There was nowhere else to go. And we just literally passed this microphone between us. And that's how we recorded our first episode, which was subsequently scrapped. But um, <laughs> that's how we got the ball rolling. And that, this microphone just has produced an incredible amount. Um, so yeah, it cost, I'd say, I think 70 quid for this thing. And then for domain and hosting for three years, it cost 170, I calculated. Um, so those were our upfront monetary costs to actually get the thing going. In terms of time then, um, we obviously had to record. We also had to kind of learn how to record because you make a lot of really dumb mistakes at the beginning. We had to figure out or get better at our editing skills, which we had. Um, developing the website took, uh, it, was, it wasn't the development of the website itself that was difficult, but figuring out what we needed to do in order to get the RSS screen, uh, stream up and get it like, you know, feeding into all the apps. That just took a bit of a learning time to figure out how to do all of that. Um, and then the graphic design I did and Tim did the music. So we just did it all, all ourselves. Um, so yeah, there was a little bit of time involved. Um, and then, but fundamentally it's very synergistic. I feel like every PowerPoint presentation has to use the word synergies, like a law. So uh, I had to include that as a little subject in there. So yeah, synergies, like, I, like I'm reporting on this stuff anyway. Like I'm, I'm talking to these people anyway. But we, we gather material constantly all the time and they kind of coalesce into episodes, basically. Um, and then Tim, it, it works for him as well because being an academic, he's supposed to have these outputs and it really looks good for him to have something that's addressed to a non-specialist audience that he can like show to people, you know? Um, so it kind of works for both of us as part of a portfolio career, if you know what I mean. So these are our listenership levels. So we started off over there, that's our very beginning and that's our last one on the housing crisis a lovely growth trend I thought so our real breakthrough episode was just about I think it was five or six episodes in when we did something about the Irish slave myth which you might have heard of mm. it's like this terrible fake history that's being used for racist purposes in the United States and it got um, it got retweeted by a very prominent um, kind of Black Lives Matter activist over in the US and we just got this huge listener spike we trended and a few people noticed what we were doing and basically our listenership is has never gone back down since, essentially. Um, these are our main listeners. So technically, our number one listenership is actually in the UK, but a lot of them are actually in the North. So I, you know, I think there's a bit of a crossover between the Irish and the UK listeners. Um, I think they're probably equal, if you, if you think about it that way. So yeah, we, we have, it's roughly divided, I think about 70, 80% between the US, Ireland, and the UK, with each block being roughly equal. And then after that, we have the other big Anglophone countries, Canada, Australia, they're pr pretty much the similar. And then, interestingly enough, we have Germany, France, and Belgium next, and they totally respectable listenership there. Like, so it doesn't even have to be an Anglophone market, which is quite interesting. Um, this is our first attempt to make some money, which is that we literally put this little PayPal thing on our website and just said, like, you can give us some money if you want. <laughs> so um, we launched, I think, in June, and we got our first ever dollar. One dollar from a guy called Daniel, some random guy, gave us one dollar like, in, like, July, um, so, like, a month after we launched. Um, but things really kicked off in October, which was when 
we launched our merch strategy. So we're literally just throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks. So we announced we we're going to make a second season and we we're going to do a fundraising for that. So I designed these attractive bags here, um, had, them, had them made and then we started selling them and we just told our, our listeners that we wanted to make a second season we were fundraising for it and it took off immediately and we, make, we made back all of our costs for the first episode or for the first season and funded the second season that way, got a kind of a pot. Then actually in response to the urging of our listeners we set up a Patreon so um, we didn't re I didn't really like to set, I was sort of against it because I didn't like uh, relying too much on a third party because I went, well, what if Patreon changes its rules or what if Patreon, you know, doesn't work out or something, you know. It, I was sort of, um, I like to do everything in-house, sort of. So, uh, but we, we relented and we, we set up a Patreon page and it's obvious now that we should have been doing that since <laughs> the beginning because it really works very well. So we don't have the biggest listenership in, in the world, but our listeners are really loyal. So I think it's, it's, a, it's just a really high percentage of our listeners actually pay us and actually buy like the bags, for example, when we put them up. They, li they like us, and they like supporting us. We have these other things like where people can sponsor a report or sponsor an episode. So um, basically, you know, you'll say at the beginning, like, oh, you'll go off to Belfast, wherever it is, and you say, this report was made possible because of X. And sometimes they're anonymous. Sometimes they want you to say happy birthday to someone who's also a listener or whatever. You know, but people actually really do take that up. Like I said, no, not all of my reporting ends up in an episode. I have a lot of spare interviews floating around, and some of them aren't enough to be a whole episode in themselves. So we feature these, like, say, 25-minute interview with someone who was really interesting or something, and I'm like, what do we do with that? Put it up as a half point. So they are um, little sort of mini-episodes that are only available to Patreon subscribers. This is the other aspect of it. So these are the list of people who have commissioned me since making my podcast because they heard something on the podcast. Um... Sunday Times, Sunday Business Post, Deutsche Welle, The Atlantic asked me directly after an episode that I'd done, Andrazia, which is amazing because I'd already done all the reporting. So they, they mostly said, oh, hey, like, we'd love an episode, like that thing you were talking about, can you do that? Yes, okay. So um, in terms of m me, it's obviously been good for my career. Um, so I think this is my theory it has helped me to develop a kind of a voice or an identity as a journalist that I that rather than having to kind of uh, fit into everybody else's preconceptions or whatever or whatever their agenda is and, and kind of um, be commissioned for, for what they want I get to develop a voice and say this is what I think the story is and drive it in a certain direction and I'm really in control in that way and then people sort of notice it, and they're like, oh yeah, what do you do that for? Um, in terms of where is the money going, we actually haven't, we have, de we have declined to pay ourselves yet, because rather than doing that, even though the money is coming in, we reinvest it. <coughs> so one of our major reinvestments was to do this trip to the north and visit these bonfires on the 12th of July and go to Derry and do all of that, which obviously involved, we don't have cars, hiring a car, uh, seeing if we could stay with someone, la, 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 all that kind of stuff. So we, we reinvested it in reporting and also in upping our audio quality, which was pretty poor at the beginning because we didn't know what we were doing and we didn't have anything. Like, we don't have a studio. We just recorded in cupboards and toilets and what, whatever. Um, and so, yeah, we bought these great items, which aren't actually very expensive, the pop filter in this, like, my garment, which make a huge difference. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, so we invested in some of that and, like, just upgrading wherever we could. 
uh, because we owe it to our listeners. Look, if they're paying for it, we should Sorry. be producing something of decent quality. What were those two things? Oh, those things. That's a pop filter. So that thing, if you speak into a microphone and you say like P sounds, like pop filter, it causes a horrible audio spike that like sounds really awful on the ear. Or if you suddenly laugh, like ha, because the mics can't deal with air being pushed into them. So when that happens, it causes a horrible sound. So you just literally have that floating in front of your mic and it, it filters out all that air that would otherwise go in there. And then that yoke there just positions your mic perfectly in front of you. So you don't need to be touching it because as soon as you touch it, it's going to cause like a on the audio. Um, so yeah, those sorry, are very simple things. Do you get as much handling noise with that little stick? Because the H2, or sorry, the H1 and the H5N, they're, they're horrendous for handling. So yeah, a little bit. Really? A little bit. If I have it in the, in the arm, yeah, no, it's fine. Um, but yeah, I do, like if I'm interviewing someone like that, yeah. generally have to edit out the time between when I ask my question and when they answered, because there'll be some okay. sort of noise. Uh, so yeah, that is an issue. Yeah, um, like I say, we have loyal listeners. This is a listener of ours called Brian, who got in touch with us and said, I love what you're doing. I'm starting a company. I'd like to support your podcast, but also can we, can we do some sort of an advertising thing? And I was like, yeah. Um, so he's setting up this company, making these beautiful maps, which he carves himself. Each county is carved individually. So on our last episode, we launched a, a competition, basically, where we said, you can win one of these maps made by Brian. Uh, and we had a little interview with him. And um, redirected everyone to go to his website, basically. So our idea is like, oh, if you don't win it, maybe someone will buy one. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a way forward. I think like, it really works for us because it's, exa- it's perfect with our podcast. Like, we would never want to have some random advertisement that's just like for something completely random. We, we would want it to be something that our listeners would genuinely be interested in. You know? um, yeah, and then other ways forward, we want to get into live events, which Alan might talk more about because I know he has more experience with this. We're thinking of doing that as another way forward. It's just like another aspect of, of podcasting where you can actually gather your, your listeners in one place and do an event. So we're hoping that that could be something that we'll do in the next 12 months. Um, so yeah, that's, that's me and this is how you can get in touch with me follow us on Twitter, Naomi O'Reilly is my handle and Passport Irish is the podcast handle if you want to listen to the podcast it's, that is the website, theirishpassport.com you can stream it directly on there or it'll be on whatever app if you use any of those apps and search for it it'll be, it should be on there, if it's not, please tell me and I'll get it on there um, yeah, thank you very much for listening Thank you very much, Naomi. Absolutely fascinating backstory of a backstory. I mean, it's it's amazing that it all came together so quickly. Um, and I, I, I'm very interested to ask you later mm-hmm. how much you know about who the audience is or can you get granular information about who they are. But first, we're going to move on to Alan McGuire. And at the last stage of the day, what you deserve is a bit of humour. So hopefully there's going to be some jokes in this. Okay, Alan in there. Um, Alan is a comedian from Waterford. He was on the train this morning. We were all on trains this morning. Um, and he produces, presents two podcasts. One called Juven, Juvenilia? Juvenilia. Juvenilia, which basically interviews people about significant popular cultural things from their childhood. I mean, the one I listened to this morning was uh, Louise O'Neill talking about Ian's Life and Books. Um, and he also another one uh, called Roast Chestnuts. Um, but he's going to give us an idea of how you're really using 
podcast for promotion. The promotion is more important than the profit for right now. Hello. Um, yeah, so as Margaret said, um, I host two podcasts on the Headstop Podcast Network. Um, Juvenalia, which is where we interview a person about a piece of pop culture that was important to them when they were young. And we've had comedians, writers, actors, activists, talking about everything from like Disney films to Stars in the Rise. Um, we've been doing that for two and a half years. And the other one is a seasonal podcast called Roast Chestnuts, uh, where uh, we review made-for-TV Christmas movies. And we just do 10 episodes out of the year, November and December, because that about 10 made-for-TV Christmas movies is about all we can handle in a year. Um, so Juvenile's been going since March 2016, and we were the first original podcast on the Headstop Podcast Network. So we've seen kind of Irish podcasting and the network itself kind of grow and develop along with us. Um, so Naomi kind of talked about how about doing uh, podcasts independently, and I'm going to talk about what it's about, what it's like being on a network. Um, so the advantages of being on a network are that most of the technical and financial barriers, which aren't huge, but they're pretty much obliterated, um, they just disappear. <coughs> so we record in Headstuff Studio for free, and Brian, who's one of Headstuff's producer, makes it sound nice for us. And then they host it again at no cost to us. So it's just, we just turn up and do it. Um, I edit the episodes myself because I'm um, pernickety. Um, it's what's known as a light touch podcast. Um, the Irish passport would be a heavier touch, a lot of editing, a lot of research, whereas we just talk and then edit out the, the egregious ums and ahs, but not all of them. Um, you can kind of tell the difference between us and that I have no slides whatsoever. That's a light touch uh, presentation as well. Um, so the network also handles the, monet take, uh, the monetization of the podcast, um, which is good in a way because money talk makes me um, squirm and flip out inside. But it also means that um, they do everything. You, so you, you don't really have control of that side of it yourself. So they have to come up with a monetization strategy that works for pretty much every podcast on the network. So we don't have the luxury of being able to start our own Patreon because that's kind of doing an end run around our host, so we can't really do that. Um, as Kira was saying, Irish podcasts, um, they're finding it easier now to get advertising, but it's still very slow. Um, advertisers tend to expect kind of US numbers on podcasts before they'll commit, which just isn't what happens here yet, besides very few examples like Blind Boy or like Eamon Dunphy. Um, so basically, if you have... a um, a public profile already, you can make money from podcasting straight off, but otherwise it's it's a slog and you need to do other things to raise your profile. It's basically, uh, it is for promotion basically. Um, so, or as, unless they're part of an existing media structure. So the Irish Times podcasts do very well, or the ones from joe.ie and her.ie have that promotion. They're on a website that a million people are going to anyway. That's how to get people to listen to them. Uh, so nobody is really getting rich from podcasts in Ireland yet, besides Brian Boy and Eamon Dunphy. Um, but it does feel like we're approaching a tipping point, I think. Um, the Heads Up Podcast Network switched to uh, a new host this year, so we can finally see each individual podcast. We can see our numbers now and our downloads, and we can see them broken down by day, week, month, and year, and see which countries and cities our listeners are in, um, which is very dangerous and addictive information to have. Um, but you can see how fast your podcast is growing, and... Um, I find it very interesting that our graph looks almost identical to Naomi's, so I feel like I don't think we're outliers. It feels like podcasting in general is tipping and keeps growing and growing and growing. Um, there's kind of an unspoken rule that it's gauche to talk about actual download figures, 
But I think if radio shows were shown the percentage increases that Irish podcasts are shown at the moment in the JNLRs, advertisers would be breaking down the doors. So I'm very surprised that advertisers haven't cottoned on yet. Um, I think there will be an influx of money quite soon, but not quite yet. Um, yeah. <laughs> For the moment, they are very effective as a promotional tool. For example, my day job is working in QA in an insurance company, and I'm standing here talking to you right now. So that's worked as promotion. Um, I think the important thing is if you're not already famous is you have to have a hook especially if you're going for a network they need to know what makes you you and your show different from every other conversation podcast or interview podcast um, so there's a million interview podcasts out there but if you're going to do one it has to have a twist so for instance Juvenalia the guest picks the topic um, in the stand the twist is that Eamon Dunphy is the host that's surprising and just to kind of as Pierre said you need to break through the noise basically um, but if you're on the independent route you just do it yourself and fund yourself and that works but for a network where the risk is taken out of it but also some of the control you need to have a little bit more extra um i think actually um this is going to sound like i'm like discouraging people but it's not i think if you don't have a good hook for a podcast but you, you do want to use a podcast as a way to promote yourself and your work a more effective way is to become a podcast guest um, pitch yourself to podcasts that you like and you think that you'd be good on because Ireland's got like a relatively small pool of guests that they draw from over and over again and bookers and producers are always looking for a new name to have in the mix so if you've anything unique to offer or any area, area of expertise just email podcasts um, for example I discovered Naomi's podcast and followed her on Twitter after she was on the Mother Folklore podcast which I think a lot of people did and a lot of people did that for us as well <laughs> Um, and some of the best episodes that we've done have been from people who just DM me on Twitter saying, I'm really, I would like to talk to this on a podcast and here's what I do. And it turned out to be great. Um, so I think starting a podcast can be a great way to get your name out there um, if you have a great idea. But if you're waiting for an idea to come just yet, then get yourself on other people's podcasts is the best way to start using podcasts to promote yourself. Um, I think there's probably going to be a lot of questions from the floor because for at least for some of us it's you know it's not an area we know deeply. Can I just kick off by asking you about the Irish passport one, Naomi? Did you you had this sense that you wanted to explain Ireland better to people, and particularly yeah. around Brexit and the border? So was so was, was your target audience deliberately people in the UK, decision makers in other European countries. Did you have a, an audience in mind when you started? And, and yeah. is, or is a lot of your audience Irish expats in those countries? We, we have a rule about our podcast which they should be comprehensible with no prior knowledge of the topic that they address. So I don't want to kind of be critical of colleagues and things, but we, in my opinion, a lot of Irish media reporting talks to an in-group and isn't that comprehensible to a first-time reader on the topic. So our, that makes our podcast success, uh, accessible to international listeners, makes it like almost unlimited, the listenership, but also like young people in Ireland or uh, people who aren't like news nerds and who just tune in on something. So we get a lot of feedback from Ireland that says we really like your approach and we like how you weave in the history and do like this sort of like potted histories of why something is the way it is because it addressed the knowledge gap for me. So it, 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 it's useful for that. And one of the really unexpected things, well, I don't know if it was really, it's quite lovely, 
is that we've got this huge listenership in Northern Ireland because they don't really study Irish history. So um, they have, um, they're really interested to, a lot of people are kind of engaging with and rediscovering their Irish identity right now. And for a lot of people, the next step after they apply for an Irish passport is to say, well, I should really understand this country. Where do I start? So we very much had those people in mind as well when we started. Um, I no, we don't have a lot of time. We've only got twenty minutes, so I will open it to the floor first, and then maybe come back with some of the questions. The lady in the this purple. Is, this is a very quick question. It's very interesting, but could we step back and say what exactly is a podcast? And a little etymology here, like is POD an acronym? Where does it come from? It sounds science fiction to me. It's um, it's pr it's contested where the word podcast comes from, and a few different people have taken ownership over it and say that it means different things. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, how I explain it is, it's on-demand radio. Um, now, it's there's a million different one types of radio. Like there's documentaries, there's phone-in shows, there's like talk. You know, your regular talk news radio. And it's the same with, with podcasting. And then podcasting is kind of pushing that boundary a little bit more as well. So um, the program on demand? Maybe. iPods. <laughs> <laughs> they were originally downloaded onto iPods. iPods. Yeah. It's not a thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've heard that already. Yeah. Any other question from the floor? Lady at the back. Uh, Naomi, when you uh, were contacted by Grazia and studied this, what did you do? What was your interaction then with him? Um, a lot of the time comes in over Twitter actually, like a DM. Uh, so it'll be someone who works for that organisation and they'll say, I heard you talking about X, we'd be interested in a piece on that. You know, or my, or my, uh, I think with Deutsche Welle an email came in directly and the person working there just introduced himself and said, a fan of the podcast, I like what you're doing, we're looking for stuff from Ireland, can you do something, do you have any ideas? So I sent back an idea and they were like, yeah great. That's that's how that happened. Oh, yeah, depends on the person. The the Grazia thing was a bit um a bit difficult different because um they commissioned me to write a piece in Italian, which was the first time I'd ever done that. Um but I think they were able to know that it would be okay to do that because they knew kind of something about my identity and who I was and things like that because of the podcast. So they were able to kind of they said do a version of that for us written, basically, kind of thing. Yeah. About numbers, what kind of numbers are you talking about um, for downloads? Yeah, uh, it, it, I'm not sure I really want to talk about it because we kind of aren't sure that we can actually trust our metrics. We use um, a statistics measuring service over WordPress, and we've noticed lately that there's a couple of things that are really inconsistent and mysterious about them, and so we're not really confident that that they're actually real or that there's, some, there's something weird going on with them. So for example, suddenly last month it appeared that half of our episodes from last season suddenly got like a thousand listens each and it, I, I just don't think that happened. I think that that was false. So I, do, I, don't, I don't know how the measuring stuff is happening and until I have like more confidence in the numbers I don't want to really get into it. And yeah. how about head stuff? Do they kind of we don't really share numbers across, don't we not? Uh, no, a couple of us have talked in private. I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. I think it should be more public. Um, but obviously, if you can trust the numbers, which we can with our host. Um, Juvenalia has about 5,000 downloads a month, which is, in the scheme of things, not huge. But the best way to think about podcasts is imagine you're in a room that size 
and actually those people listening to it, and you're reaching that amount of people every week or two weeks, and it becomes quite a significant amount then, and especially the more niche and targeted you are, like we are, that can be quite attractive to advertisers the more focused your, pod your podcast is. So we're, we are getting bigger, but we're happy where we're at the moment. Can I ask a little bit more about the financial models? Because quite a few different things have been mentioned, and perhaps it would be good if one of you explained Patreon as well, because I'm not oh, yeah. sure everybody knows what that is. But also, um, Kira, you talked about the branded podcasts, mm -hmm. and I can see how you know, this kind of model would be attractive to content marketers <coughs> and people yeah. like that. But presumably, at some point, that, that will come up against journalistic standards if you're trying to do something. Like when mm. you mentioned Kerrygold and the food industry, I was initially thinking, there's loads of topics in the food industry that Kerrygold would not want you covering. Yeah. And what <laughs> methane there is. Yeah. And, you know, there are, there, are there issues about that that you have to consider when you're considering this sure. sponsorship stuff? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, I suppose it's a question of is it journalism or is it producing, I suppose, a piece of content marketing? And if you're a freelance journalist, uh, I know a lot of us, well, me anyway, definitely rely on that yeah. because that's where the money is, you know. So um, for sure, it's compromised. Like, it's certainly not going to be a free-for-all. Like, you're not going to get a really nice, hard-hitting piece. But it depends. Like, say, the mental health piece I'm making for Lust for Life at the moment. Like, they, we have a sponsor, Revive. They're a vitamin, vitamin kind of supplement sort of company. They don't have any skin in that game, but they won't, they're all about wellness and well-being. But we're doing this pretty heavy enough, like, political piece about the mental health system in Ireland and how fucked up it is. And, like, they don't care about what we say and who, what politicians we drag through the mud, you know, because they, as far as they're concerned, this is all for the greater good of people's well-being. So they have zero input. They haven't heard any of the episodes and they're all nearly made. Um, so it really depends, I suppose. Right. Okay. Flora. Thanks, Margaret. Just a question for Naomi. Um, I love listening to podcasts, by the way, but wondering, when you launched initially, did you already have your um, website set up and your I'm trying to remember now, how did it go? So like, you have to set up a certain amount of infrastructure in order to get it streaming to the apps. Um, one of the key things you have to do is you have to create a logo with certain graphic uh, density requirements for iTunes, it's a square. I think it's like 3000 PPI, which is a graphic design thing that I know nothing about, but I had to learn for that. Um, and so you have to have that and you have to have a certain uh, link which is your RSS feed and then you can put your podcast on things. As I recall when we first launched we did have that stuff ready and um, we, we launched all in a sudden all of a sudden because um, the UK election happened and then the DUP were invited to support the government and it all became just very 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 relevant um, and we had this episode about who the DUP are ready and stuff so we just like we're like just shove it out there, you know, stop tinkering, just get it out. Did you um, launch? Or did you just no, we d I just launched on my Twitter. I just I go, There was no more time to lose, basically. Because we, we did our first recordings, I think, in March, and we'd been editing and improving the sort of the pilot episode all that time, and, we ha and, and also getting the website ready and all that. And then I just realized we just had to go. It was crunch, it was crunch time. So we just decided, uh, you know, we're doing it tomorrow, and we just put it together. Um, and I think... It was, it was pretty good. I think I got my first commission already uh, after having shared that because then the Atlantic asked me to write about who the DUP are. Um, and then what happened? Yeah, one of the key things was we started off do with SoundCloud because SoundCloud is useful because people can listen to it directly on Twitter. So uh, there's like a little box and you can press play. 
Um, and but SoundCloud is also bad in different ways. So like it's actually quite expensive and it doesn't contribute to your overall listenership numbers either. They're counted like separately by SoundCloud. Uh, so we are basically discontinuing with SoundCloud. We're not going with them anymore. And we're just focusing on the apps which all aggregate from our RSS feed. Um, so, but you have to be aware of these things changing all the time, you know, and adjust accordingly. Mm. Um, so, yeah, those were the those were the m the main steps. Yeah, but yeah, I also I, I had set up all the when we were beginning, I set up all the the uh, social media accounts, got the best handle I could, you know, like that was part of the setup pr process. Yeah. <coughs> Any other questions? Yeah. Did you have to learn Audacity? I think I kind of knew about Audacity already, but. Obviously, we had a lot mm -hmm. of learning to do. Yeah. yeah. That rather than Pro Tools, what was it? Uh, Audacity is free, and I have a PC, uh, yeah. so it works best for me. Uh, but I understand that for people who use Macs, some people use GarageBand. Mm -hmm. I don't really know about that. I just I'm like an Audacity girl, but um, yeah, it was the learning process. We we had we know all sorts of tips and tricks now that we didn't know at the beginning. So. Uh, if you listen to our first episode, the audio is really not what it is now, so I'm sorry for that. That's the yeah, learning process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and question for all three is, um, in terms of video podcasts, um, do you know anybody who's doing them? What is the threshold where you decide to do a kind of you know Joe Rogan format where it's you know cameras in the studio, but also you know an audio podcast? Do you do video podcasts? Yes. We do a little bit of video, but it's something we thought about. I don't know if you want to answer first, and I can answer. Oh, I mean, I haven't yeah. done it, um, but I, I like. There are a lot of people who watch YouTube of podcasts. I think you talked about this at the. Was it you that mentioned that? Um, maybe. Like. No. People do yeah. watch. They do watch them. Yeah, yeah. YouTube yeah. of podcasts just being film mm -hmm. being one, recorded. One of the biggest ones would be Richard Herring. He's, he's an English comedian. yourself like why would people want to watch this versus mm -hmm. listen to it and yeah. I think one of the things that we know about podcast listeners is they listen when they're doing other things yeah. um, and I had the opportunity when I was working with Love and Radio and they have like hundreds of thousands of listeners they're really big um, and we did this experiment where we asked people to send in a photograph of what they were doing when they were listening and that gave us <laughs> such brilliant insights like it was the best piece of market research we could have ever done except for the fact that it was me that had to go through all of the photos and were, <laughs> like we got about 4,000 5,000 photos of the people just learning. sent in people, people doing amazing stuff like we had a rocket scientist building a rocket like like yeah. literally building that's a rocket sure. wow. um, and listening to, this listening to Love and Radio it was really cool um, but yeah yeah, nobody was nobody was just sitting quietly on the couch. Yeah. You know, everyone was doing mm -hmm. doing something. Um, yeah. So um, it's, it's something I would think about more for live events. Uh -huh. I think yeah. our our podcast is very edited, so like we have like little reports within it, and we have like little well, that, different that, segments. That, so it wouldn't work with the fa that format. That's the thing about Herring's um, yeah. podcast is that they're 
filmed in front of a light, light yeah. in a theatre, so they're very much an event as well. Mm. So if we were doing yeah. a live event, I would. that's definitely one of the things I would consider that it would be live streamed and also that we put the video up afterwards. But it is, it's just a slightly different medium because yeah, obviously like radio people, we get used to not being on camera. So we might be in our PJs, <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> and you also you get the chance of your editing it to go, oh, hold on, can I just say that again and all that kind of thing, you know, so. Yeah, it's one to get used to your own voice, get used to your own face on camera on top of that. Yeah. Another layer. <laughs> That's another, yeah. Can I ask you, Alan, about the whole sort of community aspect of podcasters? Because it just seems from, and I don't know, is it to do with the stage of evolution and the fact that there isn't a huge amount of money in it yet, so maybe it's not as competitive. But it does seem that like you're willing to, you know, host each other and pr cross promote and all that. Is that just because of the Headstuff Network, or is that a general trend? Um, oh, I think it, it's a rising tide. You know, everybody helps each other out because it's ultimately the, the at the moment the kind of the aim is just to get Irish podcasting as treated as equal uh, to US and UK podcasts because people don't think of Irish podcasts outside of the Irish Times and like second half of the 3D at the moment. So we're all trying to professionalise it, I guess, at the moment, so it helps. But I think podcasting in general is quite a collaborative medium because you need guests all the time. And podcast hosts make good podcast guests because they know what they're doing. They know how the, the rhythm of the work and all that kind of thing. Um, and I just, yeah, I just think a community, communities are better than trying to do it by yourself. I just, I enjoy sharing things anyway. And uh, we were talking earlier about Derek from Motherfucker is very generous with his platform with sharing it and even giving over the podcast entirely to other hosts sometimes just when he doesn't feel qualified to talk. And I think podcasting ends itself that if a TV show suddenly had two completely different hosts, people would be shocked. But with a podcast, it's just one thing you listen to and you listen to it and you're done. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so. And everyone on the network, we've only really met up as a network once, but it was weeks ago and it was a very nice time to actually meet everybody and put uh, faces and names which is another good thing about live shows as well we've done four live shows now and people seem to like the opportunity to come out and actually support your show and um, they don't make a lot of money um, but we raised um, a lot of money for PLA8 with our 50th anniversary show so we donated everything for PLA8 and a lot of people showed up and um, yeah, but it's nice to see people put names to faces, see strangers that you don't know listen to your podcast, which is nice as well. Yeah, so I mean, yeah. I remember there was a, something going on for a while. I went to a few of them. Sounds Alive oh, were yeah. doing a lot of live audio events, and they, mm -hmm. they used to attract a lot of people. I don't know if this still happening. He's just made, started to make a podcast now, <coughs> Julian, who runs Sounds Alive. Yeah. I had an, an interesting remark made to me, which is from someone who went to Edinburgh Fringe, and she said she only went to podcast shows at Edinburgh Fringe. So I think... The live aspect is something that's, yeah, it's a thing, it's kind of growing. Yeah, yeah Kieran? Um, it's libel a problem. Right? Sorry? It's libel, 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 libel having them sued. Is mm -hmm. that a problem? Am I afraid of getting sued? Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> 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 we try to be careful, just like with everything yeah. else, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm really asking how much it is, or is the is there a sense that, well, there's not that many people listening and we don't have any money, so we can, or we don't have much money, so we can be a little bit, what, take a few more risks. Is that, I'm, I'm looking for, to see if that's in your 
um, mindset, really. In general, I, I use the same rules that I would for any other kind of journalism that I'd be doing. So, yeah, that, that would be my rule in general. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just curious, um, all the people that you, you interview, are you interviewing them in person? Um, um, oh, we, um, generally yes, although we do, uh, for like overseas guests, we do have to use Skype, and the, the sound quality isn't as good, but we, if they haven't set up themselves, they will record themselves as well, and then send us over to us, and we'll edit it all together, which works, it sounds like they're in the room basically, yeah. but generally, just in terms of a rapport, a conversation, face-to-face -face is better, mm -hmm. and so generally our good guest is in the round of them. For me, yeah, for me I'm just wondering about the quality. I interview yeah. a lot of people on Skype, but yeah. for written content, and it's kind of like, yeah, it's like, is it a wasted opportunity? Because I, I sometimes record them using just so I can't even remember what it is on my computer. I don't think you could rely on it solely, mm -hmm. Skype. Yeah. Um, I think you, the norm needs to be sort of face to face, but I do integrate recordings that have I've been done in, in various different ways when they add something. You know, and if you use it sparingly, I think it can almost add sort of a texture to it. Like yeah, it kind exactly. of sounds cool and investigative, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I do the same as, yeah. as what you do, ask them to record using just a recording, a voice recording app on their phone, just record their end, mm -hmm. they hold their mic close, nice and close to their mouth, you'll get mm -hmm. really good audio quality that's just as good. It's better than a phone line anyway, mm -hmm. or Skype. Any more questions? I think that's probably. I yeah. have one. Okay. Have any radio stations, uh, you know, want wanting you to buy your podcast or ever have them? Uh, no, I know there's a radio station in London that does um, air called Soho Radio, and some of my friends' podcasts do air on that as a regular show. But that's like the mainstream ones here. No. I think they're they're not really paying attention to us. They should, to be honest, but they're they're not. I mean, I think podcasting is really exciting because it's brought in all of these new voices. It has such a low level of entry that it's very meritocratic at the moment, and it's brought in all these people who would, you know, there's different barriers to entry to being on the radio, and I think a lot of Irish radio go do with a bit of refreshment, to be honest. So I think it's really exciting what's happening. We're bringing everyone in. I haven't had an interest or approach from any Irish radio, but I did have the BBC sort of sound us out for doing some kind of a version of the Irish passport for them, although it's sort of, it's, it's only an idea at this point, yeah. 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 I had the BBC come on to me after doing the 8th, or while I was in the middle of doing it, asking me to do work for them on a documentary they were making about the 8th minute, so I got work out of it, they mm -hmm. are, like, they were listening anyway, and I got interviewed by a few US podcasts, like Pure Eyes the World and stuff like that, mm -hmm. um, around the time um, so I think like the US and UK media are probably paying more attention yeah. to the podcast landscape than Irish yeah, well, the, 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 the BBC podcast the BBC at the moment are they're really pushing yeah. they're asking for tenders and so on yeah. mm -hmm. um, they've actually got if you google BBC podcast BBC Academy podcast they've put out a, a series of half a dozen shows uh, on what they're looking for, how to put a podcast together, they're actually quite useful. Mm -hmm. I mean, I say, I think for traditional media are probably making sure they get their podcast editions mm -hmm. up and running. I mean, so the RT have now got the Brexit Republic having mm -hmm. had Tony Connolly guesting on the BBC's version mm -hmm. for quite a long time. They, yeah. they finally have their own one. You know? mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, they might have even been listening to yours and thought we'd better get in there. I think it's probably time to draw things to a close. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, thank you very much to the panel. I think that was really, really interesting. Um, I certainly learned a great deal. And I'm sure people are going to come up to you now and look. The people who are trying to come up earlier looking for addresses and names and emails and things. Please feel free to come up now before everybody disappears. Um, thank you very much. Thank you.